BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Straight ahead on the insiders, he used to own this Des Moines brewery. He has a relative who used to be a longtime Iowa politician, but he's facing some questions about whether he should continue his own campaign for president. Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper is here to talk about his future and some of the big philosophical differences in his own party these days. Plus, Ross Perot warned us years ago about that giant sucking sound of those jobs leaving for Mexico. Well, we're also going to hear something from him that we found back in the archives about a warning three decades ago from him that sounds pretty similar to what some politicians are talking about today. And I promise we're not going to spend the entire show on beer here, but beer's best will fill up one of this week's Insiders Quick Welcome to the Insiders. Let's say you're running for president, you're not showing up high in some of those early national polls, and your campaign manager, your finance director, and your spokeswoman, they all quit. So do you quit too? The answer is no. If you're Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, he's one of the two dozen Democrats running for president. He's back in Iowa. He's with us this week. Thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, Governor, those optics don't really look good, though, right? When you have some of your top people leaving well, and they're saying, hey, you should run for Senate or something. Yeah, whatever. You know, I go across Iowa and I talk to people and I describe what we've done in Colorado and how we would scale that, how we got to near universal health care coverage. We got tough new gun laws passed, you know, universal background checks. We didn't take anybody's guns away, but we got good, sound gun laws in place. We went from the 40th state in the country and job creation to the number one economy for the last three years in U.S. News and World Report. Did all these things. When I tell people in Iowa, here's what we did in Colorado, and then here's how I'm going to make that work for the country. That's, here's how we're going to get the country going from 2.5% growth to 35 or 4% growth, and here's how it's going to you know, really begin expanding the middle class instead of always you know, letting it keep shrinking, which is what's still happening today. When I talk to Iowans, they're for it. They, they say, huh, you, you can I bring, if you come back, can I, can I bring some friends? And I, I feel, I mean, governors start out at a big disadvantage. Right? We, we don't have the millions of dollars from our last Senate campaign that we can put in the money. We haven't been on national press. If you're a good governor, mostly you focus on making your state very successful. But I do believe that we're, the, I mean, everyone else is just talking about what they're going to do. I'm the person who's actually done what everyone else says they want to do they say they they can do i've done it i'm a doer but doesn't the this all those things involve doing the job right the other stuff about getting a new job though that you have to deal with with polls fundraising staff all that kind of stuff that is a necessity though in modern day politics right and that's been is it fair to say that's been the tougher part so far yeah i think you know you're you're we all have steep learning curves in in some things and not others you know i'm mildly dyslexic so I'm a very slow reader. High school, they, everybody thought I was just lazy, which probably that was true a little bit too. <laughs> uh, but in terms of debate, you know, I, I wasn't a good debater. I'm not naturally a good debater, but I am putting in the time and learning to speak in more concise answers and try to get it down to 20 th seconds, 40 seconds, 60 seconds at the most. Uh, and I'm getting better. I mean, that's all you can do is try to 
demonstrate to the American people that you hear them, that you understand why they're so frustrated, that, that you're the person who can re return honesty and common decency to the White House, that you can restore America's role on the international stage. You're the person who can begin to help, well, to make sure that the middle class can grow again. Let's talk about something the, the man who has the job right now, President Trump, is doing. So supposedly on Sunday here, uh, he will start these raids in 10 cities across the country where ICE will come in, and supposedly they're going to focus on those who already have deportation orders against them. They'll round them up, and then they've talked about there could be collateral damage, you know, if there would be some undocumented with those folks. Right way or wrong way to go after this? The wrong way. I mean, and, and we are... I mean, I'm running for president because we're in a national crisis of division. It's been going on long before Trump, but he is fueling it in ways we couldn't even imagine. Why create an atmosphere of terror? Right? If these people have been found to, you know, they should be deported. Most of them, or at least many of them, have, will have committed pretty serious crimes, and they probably should be deported, right? And that's agreed upon. Why make a big announcement and create this, this frenzy of fear that's going to affect all kinds of people, many of whom are here legally, but they're going to be worried that they're going to get swept up in this, this government, you know, this government so why is he initiative. Doing that? Why is he doing that? Well, why, because why give the warning ahead of time? Oh, because he thinks that the more he can divide us, the more there is, you know, this, this, uh, you know, alarm and, and, and anxiety and people screaming that's wrong or that's right, the more he can divide us, the, the more distracted we're going to be and not, not recognize that, you know, soybean farmers will have to have eight good years before they're going to get back to where they were two years ago, right? That's a, one example. Go talk to dairy farmers and, and where they're going to have to be to get back on, on board. I mean, these tariff wars have been a nightmare for agriculture all across the country. What would you do for those, for those who had those who were supposed to be deported? How would you handle that? What should he be well, doing instead? Again, it's got to be a case-by-case -case basis. But pretty much everyone I know if someone create, commits felonies and they're here illegally, that's always been the priority of who should be deported. And one would only assume that most of these people are at that level, right? They've had some violent crime or multiple occasions of drunk driving. You know, we had a, an example in Colorado. We had a guy five times convicted, and we finally got him deported. That kind of, 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 of situation where you've got in these cases of violent criminal uh, I mean, it's important. They should be deported. Can we talk about something going on in your state that seems to kind of be blown up on a national level here, legalizing marijuana? <laughs> um, now, from what I've never talked to you about this before, but from what I've read, you were a little skeptical on the recreational use of this at the beginning and said, hey, I might have to be convinced on this. You all had this. It's bringing in a bunch of money for the state now that this is done legally. We're getting so much talk on the national level about decriminalizing marijuana and such. Where do you see this going nationally? And are there any alarms since you've lived through this? Well, again, I didn't support it in the beginning, but it passed, and, you know... And it was a referendum. The it way was a referendum, it. so it's in our, in our Constitution. So I felt that it was my obligation. I'd taken a, 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 an oath to obey, to obey and uphold the uh, Colorado Constitution. So we passed it, and now, five years in, I can say pretty honestly, and we do a 24,000-person health sub survey every two years. We have seen no spike in teenage consumption. We've seen no giant increase in driving while high. We've seen no increase in consumption in any demographic except seniors, which, you know, you've got to ask, where's that from? Uh, but I think we all suspect it's, you know, uh, the aches and pains of growing old. 
I think now if you look at the old system where we sent hundreds of thousands, millions of kids to prison, in many cases made them felons, this is clearly a better system. And I'm not saying that the federal government should tell states whether or not to legalize it, but this, the federal government should change its laws so that those states who want to legalize it can do so safely. And by that I mean decriminalize it, uh, decertify it as a, as a uh, you know, a, a, a class one narcotic, which means you can't even test it. Let's get the FDA testing. And we know that, that, that marijuana has very positive impact on certain types of seizures and certain types of autism, but we haven't ever done study because it's a, a schedule one narcotic. Let's get that done. Let's get the FDA to sign off on what the perhaps downsides are in certain cases. Let's get the Department of Agriculture to make sure that we're not using the wrong pesticides. Let's get the federal government to provide the protections and also to make sure that we can bank in those states that have legalized both medical and recreational. So, so that states that choose to legalize it, either through a vote of the people or, or, or through their general assembly, let's let those states do so safely. So as president to decriminalize it, does that mean everybody locked up for possession, selling Just for whatever, possession. can then get it only possession? Yeah, I, what we did in Colorado, we expunged. We said that if you were guilty of, of and went to prison and maybe even got a felony for possession, uh, we'll take that off your record. But in many cases, they have fairly violent uh, crimes that were associated with that, and that's a different, that's a different situation. Only got about 15, 20 seconds left here, but what's changed with this conversation, do you think? This is happening all over the country, not here yet. We have well, I think medicinal, but not recreational. States are the laboratories of democracy, and I think we put our heart and soul into doing an objective implementation, and it worked, right? I was a skeptic. And yet I, I, I did everything I could to see if we could make it work, and it appears that it is working. It's not perfect, and we still got problems, but I think it is far better than what the old system gave us. All right, if you'll hang on for a sec, we'll have you back here at the end. Beer is a hint for what you're going to face, by the way, at the end of the show. You know a little something about that. But first, when we come back here, we dug back in the archives. It's something from three decades ago. It's from a presidential candidate. It sounds a little bit familiar to what some of the current presidential candidates are talking about. We'll listen into that next. Here are several complaints from a presidential candidate. Those corporate executives make far too much money more than their employees. Those oversized tax cuts for the rich do not trickle down to the rest of the people. And income inequality has been punishing families. Those complaints are not from a Democrat in 2020. Instead, they came from billionaire Reform Party candidate Ross Perot back in 1992. We found this in the campaign archives. Now let's look at the net effect on all of us. From 77 to 92, the poorest got poorer, the second poorest fifth, this is 20% of the population, still lost money. The middle fifth, the three fifths up, still lost money. When you get to the four fifths, it's break even. The richest fifth is the only place it went up. Now go to the top 5% and the top 1%. Top 5% improved their incomes by 60%. The top 1%, by 138%. Trickle-down economics didn't trickle, and this isn't fair. With pointer in hand, that was one of those long commercials he ran during the 92 cycle. He also ran for president in 96. He died this past week after battling leukemia. Now, you might remember Donald Trump explored running for president as the Reform Party candidate. Back in 2000, he had talked about eliminating the federal debt, and the idea of getting universal health care. 
19 years later, he's the Republican president who has seen the debt rise from about $20 trillion to nearly $22.5 trillion on his watch, and he's worked to dismantle former President Barack Obama's attempt to get close to universal health care with that Affordable Care Act. The U.S. women's soccer team proved that there is no women's team anywhere better in the world, but they want better paychecks. Coming up next, a Des Moines attorney will join us on what it would take to really make pay equal among the sexes both on and off the soccer field. The U.S. women's soccer team just made that push to get paid, just like the men, even more prominent thanks to that World Cup win, proving this team is the best women's soccer team anywhere in this world. The women's team brings in more revenue than the U.S. men, won more World Cups recently, and sold more jerseys. But the women players are suing because they say they make far less on average than those men. Tom Newkirk is a Des Moines attorney who specializes in a couple of things, but they include areas of employment and civil rights. Thanks for coming back. Glad to be here. Uh, how do you watch this? You're also a soccer fan, too, but how do you watch and look at the, the legal argument of their case here? Well, I think that uh, it's from a simple perspective, equal pay is simply you need to be paid equally for equal work, skill, and responsibility. So if a woman's doing the same job as a man, and uh, she should be paid the same for that work. It's a little more complicated when you get into the world of athletics, and that's the challenge that the women's team has, I believe. So how do they, do you see this legal battle? Is this gonna, what is this gonna result in? Well, I think you gotta step back and, and, and realize that uh, when it comes to women in athletics, there's a couple of dirty secrets that are going on behind the scenes here. Um, it's not as simple as an equal pay challenge for say, women who aren't paid equally at you know, Wells Fargo sure. or some other just private company. Sure. Um, it's different because, you know, there's a market forces argument, first of all, like, for example, the male soccer players, the men's soccer makes more money, or the, there are players that are paid millions upon millions of dollars within that system, and so therefore the male players on the U.S. soccer team get the benefit of that market forces argument. The second problem of women in athletics is that it's, if you think about it, it's a segregated system. I mean, women and men don't play the same team. The, you know, women are not yet permitted effectively to coach uh, men, but men get to coach women. It's a very segregated and sexist system that athletics is, and that's the construct that women, the women soccer players are trying to challenge equal pay, and that's what their, I think that's what their problems are gonna be. Um, it shouldn't be a problem, but it's one of those things that I think is gonna affect how their legal team pursues the claim. And it does get a little complicated. I've seen this sort of laid out a couple of different ways that it, it sort of depends how many games they would play when they try to figure out who makes what and the potential here, endorsements aside here, but depending on how many competitions they have and such. But if we, if we sort of broaden this, in the political world, of course, this has been talked about for years, right? Mm -hmm. The amount of money a woman makes versus what a man makes. And I remember having Hillary Clinton in uh, when we talked to her during the campaign. It gets, it gets tricky to truly get equal pay, right? I think I use, our firm does a lot of, you know, pay cases and we challenge them all over the country. We, you know, I prefer the term pay equity because at the end of the day, why in the world should the women's soccer team be paid equally? Maybe they should be paid more. I mean, they're as skilled or more skilled than the male players. Um, they do more work. And, and some, a, some have, figures show that they're bringing in more revenue than the men, right? Yes. And in, in other words, if you're looking at 
pay. It should be women, there shouldn't be a limit on women or a cap that women only get to be paid equal to the men. Women should be paid more if their skill warrants it and their, then their ability and their effort warrants it. And I think that in this case it does. Okay, so how do, what about in our workplace? How do you guarantee that? Because we could be, you know, man, woman here, I might have 12 years, you might have 14 years experience, or even if we both have 12, one of us could be better than the other person. So how does pay come into, come into play there? Well, I think that's, again, that's why I use the phrase pay equity. You sure. take into consideration those issues. But one thing you need to remove from a system is what I call uh, male advantage factors. Like, for example, why should the men's soccer team get advantage from the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo is paid $100 million? I mean, it has nothing to do with them, technically. It's either they are doing a good job, they're doing a great job or not. Um, and there's a lot of what I call male advantage factors in the private workforce as well. You know, for example, um, we do a lot of work in um, academics for professors. And um, there's a system in place where, you know, you can go get a job offer from another university, oh, by the way, and, and if that job offer is higher, then they'll give you a raise internally. Well, that's an advantage for men because they can go out and get a job offer in a system that is already advantaging them and pay in the first place. And that same thing works in athletics as well, by the way. It works in and semi-professional sports, it works in college athletics. I mean, that's what happens. That's how coaches get raises, et cetera, compared to other, compared to other female coaches as well. We've got about 30 seconds left. Are you seeing anything changing? You've practiced law long enough here. Are you seeing trends changing with this or not? This, this equal pay thing for the soccer team is going gonna, is gonna to make pay equity explode in this country for reasons that it's going to handle the dirty secret of college athletics, which is that in, if you have to pay these women the same, then why isn't Lisa Bluter being paid the same as Fran McCaffrey? They're doing the same damn job. If you expose that, it's going to explode it for women, and it's also going to affect women in the private workplace. So it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to explode, and I think it's going to, and we're going to see some changes in, coming up in the big, in the future. Tom Newkirk, always appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Good to see you. We come back here. Terry Branstead might have been the longest-serving governor this country's ever seen, but his former lieutenant governor turned governor is reminding Iowans that she is not Terry Branstead. Here's how she makes that point and why next. As Iowa's Governor Terry Branstead told Iowans that his decision to privatize Medicaid delivery services would save them nearly a quarter of a billion dollars a year by now. It has not. Kim Reynolds was his lieutenant governor back then. She's now his replacement as Branstead serves as the U.S. ambassador in China. Listen how Reynolds' Medicaid director and Reynolds herself are now distancing themselves from those projections from Branstead from a couple years ago. I can't comment on what the previous governor did or did not say with respect to savings. I have no information relative to that. But I'm not Governor Branstead, first of all. I'm, I'm Governor Kim Reynolds, and when I was sworn into office, I said to the legislature and to Iowa, you know, we made some mistakes moving forward. We're addressing those. It's not going to happen overnight, but we're continuing to work every single day. Speaking of governors, let's talk again to another governor, Governor Hickenlooper. He's coming up back with us for the Insider's Quick Six. His take on who else is ready to be president, the difference between a Democrat and a Democratic Socialist, and a question about beer. It's all next. Time for the Insider's Quick Six. Governor John Hickenlooper's back. Question one, sir. Is it realistic to go from a mayor to president? Uh, certainly, I feel I experienced so much being governor, and, and as governor, and you, you were a mayor in Denver. I, I did eight years as a mayor. 
and and loved it. Uh, you know, big city mayor. You know, uh, Denver's seven, six hundred fifty, seven hundred thousand people, so a big city. But governor gives you a different perspective on what the interface. How how do you get the federal regulatory and and government initiatives and make them interface with your cities and your your regions? All right. Question two: What about those in Congress who are looking to go to the White House? Aren't they well prepared by already serving in D.C. on well, the federal level? They certainly have, are well prepared by serving in D.C. But what really has happened that's great in D.C. lately? I mean, I think D.C. is an example of how we don't want government to work. And I would argue that as a governor and a mayor, you you put teams together. You're you're trained in how to hire talent and then create a vision and then hold people accountable, motivate them. I mean, it's it's that's what a president does, right? You've got to put teams together and accomplish big things. Uh, question three. Let's talk about the current president, Donald Trump. When you describe him as president, how do you do it? Well, <laughs> you know he is the president of the United States, so I try to respect the office. But you know, I I try to be honest. The his isolationist tendencies as a as a the commander in chief and as a leader of the country, I think they make us less safe, and I think the tariff wars are genuinely hurting our economy without question. Uh, question four: What is the difference between a Democrat and a Democratic Socialist? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I think a Democratic Socialism Socialist has an inclination towards larger government expansions. That's what I would generally say, but there's a lot of gray area there. Okay. Uh, question five. So, in another life, you were involved in the beer industry, and you even owned one in downtown Des Moines for a while here. What makes a good beer, and what's your favorite beer? So, a good beer has a balance between the hops and the body of the beer, and 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 a good brewer puts, you know, a lifetime of experience trying to create unique balances and and get the hops just the right bouquet.、Uh, that's why you shouldn't drink beer out of a bottle. You want to put it in a glass so you can. You can get the bouquet before you drink it, just like you would with a red wine. So my favorite beers are the local beers because beer is food; it's fresh. It doesn't get better as it ages, unlike red wine.、Uh, and we had beer,、uh, actually, the、uh, Big Grove, which is out in Solon. I guess they've got a tap in Iowa City, but they're doing a special beer for Ragbri. And who but a fool would try Tailwind Golden Ale? And, and you're I, riding a little bit, right? I、you're、am going to ride in Ragbri. Absolutely, can't wait. And the Tailwind uh, uh, Golden Ale from Big Grove was. Delicious. All right. Finally, your prediction. Well, I think we're going to have before I die. I think we will have a woman president, and we will have a woman on Mars. It won't be the same woman, but we will have those milestones well in our rear window by the time I go to the next land. I just presume you don't want that in 2020. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not this year. All right, Governor. Appreciate the time. No, Thank you. Safe travels. Thanks for being with us. Let's stay connected throughout the week. We'll see you next week.